Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike and Tim are right, here Tim. today. Yes, I had to think about that. Tim. <laughs> oh, Tom? yes. It is Tim. Mark and Tom are here today. And um, we are delighted to be a small part of your day. Um, what we want to do today is w- our intention was to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. Obviously, we've had some folks bring some questions about uh, the content of our last episode um, and just what's happening in the world in general. And so we thought we'd respond to that. Uh, We have Gombas on the line to talk with on uh, Friday. Um, And so we'll probably... be on hold for a while. Well, he... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. We we will begin talking to him on Friday and end <laughs> talking to him on Friday. And I, and he'll have some sort of Pauline apocalyptic, you know, canonic <laughs> narrative to frame this in that will blow our minds and leave us speechless. But until then, uh, we're going to take another swing at this. And, and I think it's important because uh, part of me was like, oh, we don't want to spend a, a lot of time rehashing some of this stuff. But I got to tell you personally... I've spent a lot of time rehashing a lot of this stuff, yeah. and 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 I don't know that it's wise to move away from it quickly. You know, as quick as our news cycles are, and as as small as our collective memory is, um, I don't know. There's something here that I think we really need to to slowly go through. Yeah, and so these aren't the smartest thoughts. Um, <laughs> you know, there are lots of other places for those. Nor are they the most polished, but um, I, I think once we get into them, you'll see hopefully why it is we wanted to spend a bit more time on this from a, a slightly different uh, and bigger perspective. So what's going to kick us off today, Timothy, is a question we got, um, and I'm going to leave out some identifying details, all right? But I, I think this this has echoed things that we've been hearing um, the, there's an opening greeting with salutations and warm encouragements. That's nice. And then, yeah, that's always nice. And then I have, so I'm just going to read, this is, this is the questioner, all right, from henceforth. <laughs> I have what may be considered a pastoral question. My wife and I are struggling with our church. We love our pastor. He did speak against the riots this past week, which we appreciated, but managed in doing so to start down a path justifying some types of violence, going so far as to say there is biblical allowance for the Second Amendment. My wife and I are getting stir-crazy about uh, over the nationalism in the church, especially when it comes, when it seems there is more and more attempt to justify American laws and the Constitution by cherry-picking some biblical verses. As a congregant, should I address the path my pastor is taking with him, uh, parenthesis, I really don't want to make ultimatums with him. And at what point should we be looking for a new church? And how do you parse out churches in a field of more and more nationalist churches? We also did visit a church prior to the election uh, one Sunday, and it almost turned into a small Trump rally. Yeah, was a- yep, so that's the question. And, um, and obviously, first of all, thank you. Um, I don't think we can ever know for sure whether staying or leaving is the right answer from an outside perspective, right? This is, as we've tried to emphasize on the podcast, our involvement with the church is an essential critical thing. 
Now, involvement with a organization, institution, local expression of the church is very much negotiable and uh, for, for a lot of folks, a stumbling block these days. And we can get into all of that later. So there is no definitive answer here. But I would say, I would say this, um, and, and, and I think as I've thought and prayed and reflected, I really feel like that this is becoming a deal breaker issue. And this is worth leaving a church over if, it's, if, if it is indeed infecting the leadership of it. There are other deal breaker issues. You know, we're like denying the reality of Jesus or the resurrection or whatever moral issues, financial issues. But uh, I would, I, I can't help but add this uh, to the list of those deal breakers. This idea of nationalism in the church, and yes, that, um, and, and we'll and we'll get into what we mean more by this. But the idea that, um, and however it's pervade, uh, that a, the the allegiance to a particular party is a Christian thing. Yeah. Uh, regardless of where it is, but let's use what's happening right in front of us. So you, it would be things like, yeah, Trump rally. They're, they've stolen our election. We need to fight for our country. The Democrats will destroy us. Any of those things that are that yeah. they're not biblical things, even remotely. And and to be honest, the Christian nationalist gospel is a false gospel, and the Christian nationalist Jesus is a false Jesus. And so, in cases where this is actually infecting the water flee don't talk don't argue i i've i've tried to talk with people who are in the throes of some of these things and literally your opposition to them is proof in their mind that they're right <laughs> yeah and so um uh now that's not to say whether or not you should talk to this individual or not um i i don't know but uh, so so i'm saying is this is this a deal breaker these days i think it it is and um, uh, should it be called out as a false gospel and a false Jesus? You bet. The great irony of this is that we were told several weeks ago that critical race theory was the great boogeyman in the church, yeah. uh, the, what we had to be watching out for. And, um, you know, that's not to say it's not without its flaws, but the, the 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 number of conspiracy theorizing, refusing to look at evidence kinds of folks that are sitting in the pews of most churches who've been radicalized and discipled by places other than the Bible and the authentic, true expressions of church, uh, that seems to demand a little more attention these days than just that. So um, it, should you begin looking, I can't answer that, but I would say um, if this is, if these are indeed signs that are consistent over time, it seems like this would be a deal breaker. This is not Jesus and this is not the gospel. End of story. Now, th- this could be true of different political allegiances too. Um, so, so this isn't just an anti, you know, conservative lens. No, no, no. This is, as we've been talking about for months on the podcast, the, the Bible equally indicts right and left expressions of demo, democratic liberalism. Absolutely. End of story. Um, and, and to claim either side of those as the more Christian position is to get off on the wrong foot entirely, right? The kingdom of God is its own political entity 
that allows for no other political allegiance. Now, there are overlaps between certain policies and the values and priorities of the kingdom, but to simply insist uh, by divine fiat that a, a ruler is God's appointed and a platform is uh, the biblical platform is to commit uh, blasphemy and idolatry. So we just need to be real clear about that. All right. Now, <laughs> you want to add anything to that, Timothy? I have I have been a perpetual thorn in the sight of every pastor of every church I've been at. And I and a as opponent. a former as a former pastor of a church he's been at. It's true. Let me speak authoritatively that three times I prayed to the Lord for him to remove this thorn <laughs> in my flesh, this messenger of Satan. And he said, tongue. no, my grace is sufficient. <laughs> Timothy, why have you been a thorn in the flesh? I just think that if you have things, if you, I think part of being concerned about your church, if there are things that you're concerned with, go and have that conversation. And if it seems like that's a, a unbudging thing, then go. But I don't know. I, I I I think that that is part of a pastor. A pastor should not be untouchable, and they are human. So Shocking. I you know if you guys are, it sounds like there's a little bit of like you know that church is somewhat of your home. Then go and have that conversation. If it seems like that's the end of it, then yeah then that's the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's get into this a bit more. It's, it's a tricky because you're not only dealing with churches, but family members, mm -hmm. marriages, parents and children. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this this is this is divisive of the highest sort um, and highest caliber. So I want to do a bit of reflecting. On and, and and first of all, let me let me get all the disclaimers away. Speaking for both Tim and myself, <laughs> but mostly for me, I am uh, absolutely fallen and frail and wrong about many things. You are definitely I, speaking only for yourself on this. Yes. Yep. I am. I have planks in my own eye <laughs> that are as big as the redwoods in California. Um. So. All of that is given, and and so what I what I want to start talking about is stuff that I need to continue to examine my own heart for, okay. But as I've watched the media reporting and more videos that come out from what's happening, you know what was happening that day, hmm. the more gravely concerned I am that it that it wasn't just a one or two Christian flags that were making an appearance by a small minority of people. But the, th the Christian theme was very prevalent throughout all of the activity. So I just want to go over some examples um, uh, of, of what's, what I've seen with my eyes and what's been reported by historians who were there, reporters that I trust, um, news outlets that I, I find convincing. Um, and so... Uh, the party of law and order <laughs> rioted to overturn uh, an election, and they did it with a Christian veneer. So here are just examples. So there were multiple examples of the Christian flag, which is an ecumenical white flag with a blue field and a red Latin cross. Um, there was ex one one uh, of these was carried onto the floor of the the house. 
but there were multiples. Um, at least two flags picturing the ichthus, which is the fish, which was an ancient Christian symbol. An American flag that had been altered to say, uh, make America godly again um, on its white stripes. Um, there, there was an example as people were rioting uh, of a group of people singing the blood of Jesus over the people who were rioting. All right, so they're just chanting the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over the people who were rioting. Um, and um, this was, it, it did not seem in, as a rebuke, it seemed more as a supplication to protect the rioters. Um, there, there, you, I saw this one, and I didn't know what it meant, but it's a, it's a white flag with a green pine tree. And that's actually a flag that appeals to an Old Testament battle narrative um, that I had no idea about. Obviously, we saw the Jesus is my savior, Trump is my president um, flags. There, there was um, uh, uh, Jesus saves, uh, yeah. like bright fluorescent banner. Um, there was uh, many, not many, I, the, the word is uh, several um, folks that were carrying around Jesus baseball caps and jackets and sleeves. Um, there, there was an example of uh, some of the Proud Boys being led in prayer hmm. um, before this. Um, and there's photo evidence that these were indeed Proud Boys at that who were praying and being led in prayer, invoking the name of the Lord Jesus over their efforts. Uh, there was a giant wooden cross that had yeah. been erected outside of the Capitol days before there was the Jericho March which was organized by so-called Christians to pray, march, fast, and rally for election integrity. And then the Christian language that was invoked and used there was all about fighting for the soul of our nation. Um, there, there was, leading up to this, the rhetoric of many Christian leaders, um, not only repeating the, the, the fraud claims, but uh, spiritualizing and Christianizing them. Yes, yeah. Um, there, there had been prior to the election, the, the moral covering of Christian leaders saying that, that our more, our Christian duty was to vote for Trump and giving theological reasons why, um, the, the big issue as we've referenced, uh, by some of these evangelical leaders was CRT. It was not nationalism. Um, I just saw a clip from a pulpit from a, uh, a large church in uh, Ocean, Ocean City. I used to, I used, I spent a summer in Ocean City. In Orange County, hello, <laughs> saw OC, got all messed up, where, um, where the pastor was telling people that many people in government are compromised, there's a rising up that's coming and using this Man. old Christian terms. Um, 81% of self-identified evangelicals voted for Trump in 2016. And then after four years of seeing who he was, 78% voted for him in 2020, constituting in both elections, the largest block of his support. The primary religious affiliation of those, uh, in the house and the Senate who are objecting to the election was evangelical. And then um, a conservative commentator named David French asked this question. David French has been on the Holy Post. He's, he's a big name. Hence, he's not here. <laughs> and I'll quote him. <laughs> but, but, but listen to this just for a second. 
He calls the insurrection a Christian insurrection. And I'm quoting him here. Are you still not convinced that it's fair to call this a Christian insurrection? I would bet that most of my readers would instantly label the exact same event, Islamic terrorism, if, if, if Islamic symbols filled the crowd, if Islamic music played over the loudspeakers, and if members of the crowd shouted uh, Allah Akbar as they charged into the capital. Absolutely. If that happened, conservative Christians would erupt in volcanic anger. We'd turn to the Muslim community and cry out, do something about this. How do I know we'd respond in that manner? Because that's what we've done year after year before and after 9-11. <laughs> and, so, and so what else do you call it when the name of Jesus is being invoked yeah. um, and symbols are being used? Um, uh, and, and again, not every, uh, you know, every demonstrator was part of this. I understand that. But nor was every Black Lives Matter protester part of the violence uh, that they were a part of, and yet they got painted with the broad brush. So it's only fair that we're painted as well. So that's the pro that's, that is the symptom, my friends, that we're dealing with, all right? And you can look away, and you can what about it until you're blue in the face. This, th these are the facts on the ground, end of story. Now, the objections, and, and my goodness, I've gotten uh, several of these personally because of posts or whatever. Um, one objection is, hey, you don't know their motives and intentions. You know, maybe, th maybe they were there to, you know, call to people to repentance. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. Yeah. And, and if they played that same standard with the BLM protesters uh, that were watching the violence, um, okay, great. Uh, I don't know their motives. However, I do know their actions and that people who were uh, using, singing, shouting Christian symbols stormed the Capitol um, uh, to the detriment of 50 or 60 police officers that we know are injured. One was killed. One was pulled out and beaten yeah. uh, with American flags and Trump flags. All right? Face down in public beaten and if they were there to protest the violence they would have either fled in terror about what this had turned into or they would have laid down their lives for the sake of the yeah. people that were being killed so i can't judge their motives certainly their actions don't reflect opposition to what yeah. was happening but support of it secondly matt walsh who uh, I'm not a huge fan of. I'm, he is an image bearer, and he has thoughts. And he posted a picture of um, a, a police station being torched by BLM Antifa rioters. And he said, well, if you're going to call what happened last week insurrection, then you have to call this insurrection too. And I've seen this a lot, that there seems to be the suggestion that there's a, an equivalence between what BLM riders were doing and destroying and looting uh, targets and, and property and what happened last week. And, and certainly there is an equivalence in the sense of all violence is wrong and um, harming other image bearers is always wrong forever and always. 
and that Jesus people do not ever resort to violent protest, ever. That, that's certainly all true. But there does seem to be a slight difference between the protests and grievances of a people who have been historically mistreated and protesting the death of a man gruesomely uh, at the hands of authorities versus the president of the United States inciting uh, based on election fraud claims that are disputed uh, a mob to march on the Capitol, uh, telling them that he loved them and that they were special and that he understood how they felt. Um, and um, doing this while Congress was in session, counting electoral votes after accusing the vice president of being a coward for doing something he could not constitutionally do. Seems like there is a bit of a difference between an assault on a target uh, the, the store target and an assault on the, on the Capitol uh, certifying an election because you believe the election was rigged. So I, I'm not sure I agree that these are, these are in the same categories other than, yeah, we, vi violence is never the answer to anything according to Jesus people. So that's true. Absolutely. But it doesn't seem like these are equivalent situations. Another objection I've heard um, is, uh, and this one, th this one, I'm starting to get a little hot under the collar about this one because it's. I'm hearing this from the people who have stoked the fires <clears throat> of rhetoric. They're now they're now appealing to us for calm mm -hmm. and peace and unity. So Franklin Graham, oh God bless him, he's an image bearer. Jesus died for him. <laughs> he has thoughts also. Um, he has spent the last several months repeating claims of fraud and using rhetoric about the fighting for the soul of our nation. Tweeted out, I pray that everyone will stop the finger pointing and realize that both parties bear responsibility for the problems we face today. Pray that we will come together and work together for the good of all American people. Um... And, and I just want you to know, from, from my victim's advocates, that's called um, victim blaming. Mm -hmm. I punch you in the face and then tell you we need to just lower the temperature. Yeah, It's kind of not how this works. Um, that's how abusive uh, relationships work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> I do something incredibly egregious, and instead of owning whatever small or large part I had in it, I call for unity. Now yeah. Biden's been calling for unity, right? And 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 every Trump supporter I know has been saying, "Well, no, you can't call for unity because the election's been stolen." Right. But now, when we see the ugliness of where some of that rhetoric took us, now we're calling for unity again, particularly by those who have been guilty of stoking the fires. So, so here's the clarity in my mind about this: when people say you're being divisive, um, first of all. Uh, Anyone, the ones who attach the cross to any poli political agenda are the ones who have divided the church, not yes. the ones who call that crap out. Yep. Okay, so you, with your Trump is God's anointed, he's our Cyrus the king, uh, God's plan was for eight years and not four. I mean, these are all statements that I've heard directly um, to my face um, or seen in print. Um, you're the ones that divided the church, not us. 
not us. And so it is the height of hypocrisy and blame shifting for you to not engage with repentance and, and sorrow over where this has led. I mean, it's the classic statement, well, I can't be racist because I didn't own slaves. Right. right? As, as faulty as that reasoning is, um, that's as faulty as this is. Well, I didn't riot. Right. But but no, we've stoked conspiracy theories that don't have basis in fact. Um, we've we've determined to live in our own tiny echo chambers, and we've decided that our political allegiances are more important than the clear teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. You've divided the church. For those of us who are determined to say that any attempt to stamp the cross on a political ideology is morally wrong, idolatrous, and blasphemous, we're not dividing the church. Not even remotely. So uh, if you're tired of um, uh, reflecting on the severity of what it is that just happened and the years of building up that have revealed the, the fractures of compromise in the church, well, then you need to go find you need to go find your own news network, which many will do anyway, right? Because you cannot engage the Bible in these matters and come away thinking the Bible has nothing to say. Yeah. So, no, not being divisive at all. We're actually just asking for accountability. And then the classic whataboutism. What about, what about, what about, what about? Yep, and this is a rhetorical fallacy that does not address an accusation, but instead attempts to highlight another uh, uh, incident um, to change the subject. And we just simply say, yeah, there are lots of whatabouts. Absolutely. We need to reflect on race and what the BLM riots taught us about the church and, and um, what our reaction to them showed us about us. That's true. But that's not the point right now. The point right now is a bunch of, of white people armed with Bible, God, guns language stormed the Capitol, beat Capitol police officers to try to disrupt a legitimate constitutional process. That's the point. So let's, what about later? But we've got to deal with this. All right, Timothy, I sense from your continued nodding that you are with me, as they I'm say. I'm with you. Any thoughts you want to throw in here? No, I keep thinking about the divisive thing. Well, whatever. I agree. My, <laughs> my, my reflections have been like, uh, the past year has been for me, the idea of deconstructing for me has been breaking, has not been tearing my faith apart as much as tearing apart things that I've been handed that are testing the things that I've been handed. Mm. And where I've landed for the last year plus has been using the lens of uh, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor and, and pushing everything through those lenses. Mm. Does this feel like I'm living in this posture? Right. And I feel like everything that I saw on Wednesday was love of self. It was just what happens when that becomes the commandment that we live by is just mm. what about me? What about me? What about, what about me? My rights. Yeah. And that's, and this is what happens. Like this is the, yeah. this is the boil over of self centered theology. Yeah. And it, and it's just, it's so antithetical to And here's what's great. Jesus. I am I am absolutely guilty of self-centered theology. Yeah. So uh, I mean as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, okay, what are the ways I've been complicit? 
as a pastor, as a leader, as a public Christian? Um, what are the ways I've been afraid? Um, what are the ways I've been silent? I mean, all of this. This isn't just for folks out there. It starts with us. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about. And, and again, this isn't some exhaustive analysis, guys. We're just you give us the grace to work this stuff out in real time with you. And so that's what this is. This, this is, is very real cool. time. This is actually Monday morning after the was, Wednesday. Yeah, and you had, yeah. during the pod. This this is as live as uh, Vox gets. <laughs> oh yeah, because it'll be out later today. Yeah, yeah, that's because you're a magician editor. But magician. let's let's talk about what Wednesday showed us. You know, because we can cry. This is not us. All we want, and it's like, well, at some point, it's like, eh. Yeah, I think it's us. <laughs> yeah, that was my thoughts when Biden gave his speech. This is not who we are. I was like, eh, is it not? Well, yeah, I don't know. It seems like it. So I wanna, I, I want to, um, talk about, and, and I can only address this. I'm not a historian nor the son of one. I am not a sociologist, a psychologist. I got nothing other than. Mikeness and pastoralness in white evangelical non-denominational church settings. So that's all I'm bringing to this table. But it seems like, and Tim, add, it seems like this is what has been revealed about us, first of all. All right? M many things. But one of them is that the whole left behind approach to understanding the last days has really opened us up to conspiracy thinking and mistrust and distorted yeah. views of what God's going to do, right? The world's going to burn. There's going to be this antichrist that takes over the world government and, um, and, and violence is sanctioned against that in the book of revelation. And we can do a whole bunch of podcasting on how misunderstood the book of revelation is, but that is in not fact, what you the have. book of revelation. It, yeah. Well, yes. Over two, three years, I've done 18, 19 episodes um, that have covered the first chapter of the book. So that's how slow it's going. But um, one reporter was saying um, he was interviewing somebody who was, was um, just coming out from the Capitol. And uh, it was a guy saying, one, one protester said, it's all in the Bible. Everything is predicted. Donald Trump is in the Bible. Wow. Um, and, and again, not, I don't, I don't know anybody that's going to hold that view, but I don't know lots of us. And I did for a long time held the view that revelation meant it's all going to go horribly wrong. The world, right. you know, is going to go just down the can and God's going to come and rescue his faithful out. And then there's this remnant that's going to stay that has to wage war against the antichrist. And, um, and so I think that's opened us up to these crazy conspiracy theories. And, and part of the reason I believe that is because of the apocalyptic language they use yeah. um, in justifying uh, some of this stuff. And so I'm How like, crazy okay, would it be if, if that is actually true? But from the wrong. And, but Kurt, and Kirk Cameron is one of the people that's left behind <laughs> to fight. What if the, I mean, it would just be the ultimate spiritual irony. <laughs> totally, totally. So, so it seems like there's been a failure of apocalyptic imagination. Um, 
so that's that's the first failure. Second failure. That's a book title. And they, pff, I'm sure a it's failure already failure of apocalyptic imagination. I'm gonna go copyright it real quick. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just misunderstanding the end times and all of that. Um, and then secondly, what a what a massive failure of discipleship. I mean, how can the entire evangelical church not be indicted by this? Um, yeah. That that as you say, the the exaltation of self over the renunciation of self, the exaltation of self over against love of neighbor, the uh, uh, the blinding allegiance to political ideology, regardless of what side, um, the inability to love our enemies and bless those that we perceive to be persecuting us, uh, the inability to forgive and to listen to people who we consider our opponents. Uh, the inability or unwillingness to to see good in the other side, to treat each other equally as image bearers, the tendency to demonize the other to the point of con- to the extent of conjuring up um, violence, contempt, and anger. Yeah. Uh, the language that we can use on online that we'd never use in person. I mean, you just you just go down the list. Yeah. of what Jesus has been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And none of us think it's effective and none of us think it matters, right? I mean, that was w- one of the most powerful responses to 9-11 I ever read was a guy who, he's an Anabaptist, which means he's he's a pacifist. Um, and he just simply said, the rush by Christians to, to revenge themselves on the terrorists of 9-11 just showed that none of us really believe the way of Jesus works in the real world. Hmm. And it was like, yeah, that's true. We don't believe it. And so, and you combine that with the failure of our discipleship in terms of how we see the world, right? We've been all inculcated with a culture war mindset that we're fighting for our nation. We're fighting for our children's future. The very threat of the church is at stake. Yeah. Right. With all of these escalating, I mean, literally every election in my lifetime has been the most important election in my lifetime. Yeah. Every election has been about the Supreme Court and the fate of the unborn, and religious liberty, and all of these things. And those and those things absolutely matter, but they're not ultimate. None of them are ultimate. None of not one of them. It's as if the church can only flourish if it has cultural or political privilege. And of course, yeah. I mean the whole the entire Bible, not once. Uh, do, does the church have cultural privilege? And when the and when Israel does in fact have cultural power, they always always mess it up. Always. Yeah, and we've covered that in the last previous episodes with Phil or Sky and going through yeah, what totally. little effect elections have had on multiple right. you know abortion, all those different issues. But what huge effects people being directly involved in their communities have had. Right. And so, you know, for people like us who were raised on Dobson and Moeller and all of these Christian states people that were warned us about the just dangers of relativism and abandoning truth, <laughs> they, they have become the relativists they warned us about. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the tragedy of all of this. And so many people my age and younger are, are, um, are absolutely either have been or are distraught over how could you tell us the character matters and then sanction all of this, <laughs> yeah. you know, oh, and then, and then directly say character doesn't matter. 
<laughs> yeah, not when you're enacting godly policies. <laughs> um, and then, and then, and and here's the big one. Um, we can no longer think that we're apolitical. We have to disciple people politically. Um, because because me and my tribe, we've always said we're aggressively nonpartisan. But what we should have said is we're aggressively nonpartisan, but we're aggressively political because mm. the gospel is political. And, and there needs to be uh, an undiscipleship away from the way we see categories of politics and a discipleship to understanding the kingdom yeah. as a politic that plays by an entirely different set of rules. So even when we engage in the politics of quote the world, we're doing it as citizens from another kingdom and ambassadors yeah. of a different realm and practicers of an entirely different way of being political. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like you can't not be involved. It's the way our nation is set up. You can't avoid. That's right. But, partisan but, politics, but the way you go into it and what you bring to it and the right. focus that you bring to it, it can be dramatically different. Yes. And and the church must be reconceived as a political entity. Yeah. I like that idea of ambassador. That's a good You know, like an ambassador it's a from great a idea. Nation. Yeah. It is a great idea. Paul should have thought of that. <laughs> oh, he did. Weird. Weird. So that's what it looks like has been revealed and then here if that's been what's been revealed then i don't know and, and again we're tim and i and our little vox crew i mean we're all wrestling with well, what do we do with this like, like this hour is what by hour yeah this is what <laughs> we've seen and... oh my lord yes this is what we are guilty of yeah what do we what do we do because the, it doesn't seem like just sitting back and saying well it'll work itself out that doesn't seem like an option, nor does it seem like an option just to be silent and say, well, you know, the kids are going to do what the kids are going to do. Because the Bible seems to have a lot to say about these issues, nor is it an option just to be political the opposite direction. Like when we get to solutions, and this is so important, the, the, whatever our answer is, it can't just be Bidenism. Right. I mean, the answer isn't just, well, then we're progressives. See, yeah. that's to conceive of politics only through the binary with which we've uh, been discipled, right? That, it, well, if you're not Republican, then you're not Democrat. Right. There's, there's actually an option about being political and not being partisan at all. And that's the, that's the thing we want to explore. So the answer isn't just, okay, well, then, then we're just going to put our faith and trust in Biden and his Supreme Court. Right. As opposed to Trump and his, right? Nor can there just be unity without repentance. Yeah. And um, and so to people who still insist to the great harming of others, um, certain conspiracy theories uh, that aren't that have no evidence behind them, or certain political views that have been shown now to be masks and coverings for white supremacy and nationalism. Um, we're not going to set those aside for the sake of just being peaceful together because we're right. not peacekeepers, we're peacemakers. Boom. And peacekeepers run from conflict uh, and the church doesn't, especially yeah. when it's in its own ranks. So, um, 
you know, whether it's race, that conversation has to be had in an ongoing, sustained way. And this is tied into it, has to be had in an ongoing, sustained way. So I don't think the option is just, um, hey, well, let's just be unified, guys. No. Yeah. No. Or just having the conversation once. Like you said, these are conversations that have to keep happening probably forever. Yes. Um, Here is... Yes, of course, forever. Because this will be an ever-present temptation. It's always yeah. been the temptation of the people well, of God. A, you've been a big no red bows guy for a long time, and I think that the church has always suffered from red bows, meaning tying something up at the end and being like, we had that conversation. Everybody right. good? So now we're good. Let's move right. on. Right. And we need to be opposite of that continually. Yep. I mean, that, I, that seems to be it. A fra- like a piece of the definition of loving your neighbor is continually making sure that your neighbor is taken care of. Totally. And and so is repenting and admitting yep. you're wrong and uh, receiving correction. I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean... <laughs> no one has just... proven over the history except for one person. No one has proven to be maybe has moments of um, good decision-making, but everybody has faltered. All of our heroes and all of our whatever have all taken turns. So it's just, I feel like if we could just have a, 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 like a Zoom call with all of the church and just be like, look, can we just agree on this? We're all going to have to repent. We're all going to have to be rebuked and and to hear a good word from time to time. Are we all like... Let's just all make that the foundational issue now and then and and then start to you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is where Gombus's concerns about capitalism come into play. Because if we're gonna undisciple people from away from this and disciple them to Jesus, people are gonna leave, people are gonna stop giving, mm. people are gonna be angry. And um in and, and I would imagine uh, in many places, the the temptation to just simply let sleeping dogs lie, as they say, yeah, totally. uh, is is incredibly real and powerful. And I just, I'm not sure we have that option anymore. I really don't, because this isn't a sleeping dog. Um, I think this is a false Jesus and a false gospel and has to be opposed. Now, it's it should be opposed everywhere. If in its Trumpist form, it should be opposed, but it should be formed in every other conceivable way too. This is just the one that we're seeing writ large. Very, and it's not very... just us. Read, for, read foreign um, media. They're, yeah. they're noting the Christian symbolism that's been attached to this thing. This isn't... Even if you don't use Christian symbolism... Um, the, the world has associated, um, Trump and evangelicals together. Absolutely. I, I texted you guys a picture of a thing from Facebook yesterday of a person, like an acquaintance of mine, and she is as staunchly agnostic as possible. And she's just, and well, she was commenting directly on a wife of a, a really well-known worship pastor who drove out there and live streamed it and took a picture on the noose. And oh my. Or because there was a there was a full new like news set up there. Someone brought a whole thing, and people were taking pictures with it and smiling. And there's like, and her thing was like, I got caught up in the moment. Right. And it's like, what? And what version of the moment that you get caught up in? Do you take a smiling picture with a noose? 
Oh, yeah, that was, yes. That was a picture with a noose that was hung up at the yeah. Capitol. And she and she's the wife of a really well-known worship pastor or whatever. So this person's commenting on Facebook, like, this is why Christianity is disgusting. This is why yeah. Yeah. we hate Christians and we hate the church and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, I see that. Yep. I get it. There's yep. no excuse for that whatsoever. So not, I mean, as you're saying foreign media, I'm saying even in the U.S., like this is people are seeing this in real time and saying, yeah. look at Christians at this event, yeah. not because they were listening to Vox and they're like, oh, you guys said that was Christians. No, they came <laughs> to that conclusion on their own. Totally, totally. Because our Christian leaders and evangelicals is a voting block and highly symbolized Photo ops with the president have all declared. I mean, Trump has even said he owes evangelicals a great debt. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get me riled up. Well, it, 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 if you refuse, if you are the kind of person that just refuses to see that that's the association that's out there, then I, I can't help you. I mean, I don't know what else to say. This this is the this is the brush with which we are painted, and and in a lot of cases, rightly so. Yeah, because a lot in a lot of cases it's the brush that we picked up and painted ourselves with. Yep. All right, so we're talking solutions. Just one more. <laughs> All right. No, oh, this is this is tough. Um, so the answer isn't Bidenism, and the answer isn't mm-hmm. false unity. Um, the answer has to be political discipleship and robust discipleship. And um, and so let's talk about political discipleship first. Okay, this is a thread from um, somebody who'd studied terrorism, how how Muslims were radicalized. Mm. All right, and this is what th- this this is so. It it seems now again. I mean, I've never made that study, so I'm taking his word for it. But listen to what yeah. he says. This is I'm speaking in his voice. When I studied terrorism in South Asia, I ran across a lot of literature on de-radicalization. One thing I recall is that DRAD programs were most successful when they were locally driven and involved religious leaders. In other words, imams who didn't believe in terrorism were the best at teaching young men not to be terrorists. Hmm. They taught a version of Islam that did not lead to violence. These programs worked better than government-run programs or attempts at modernization, whatever that is. That means Christian pastors have a unique responsibility and burden. They have a unique role in de-radicalizing the people in their pews. They need to teach the difference between Christianity and Christian nationalism. Now, I I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Right? Now, the problem is... To do that means you're going to lose people, lose friends, potentially lose family, and certainly lose your livelihood. Good Lord. I believe Jesus said all those things. <laughs> so I wonder, Tim, how is it that we can fund young pastors mm. in small areas who would be totally on board with preaching the gospel of Jesus, but for financial reasons feel that they cannot? That's great. I'm actually I'm going to write that down. That's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in in finding a crew of pastors. So I'm a pastor too. I I have I have the the fortune of being a part of a church that's willing to have these conversations. That that's a distinct rarity. Um, 
and I, I um, you know, being an older and by older, I mean, late thirties, um, person, um, you know, I, I've got some other advantages. We're going to say pre Bieber, um, post Bieber. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely pre Bieber post. No pre, um, pre trib post trib. <laughs> so I'm mid Bieber. That's pre-bib, I am. Post I am. I am mid Biebs. Um, anyway, all that is to say bad revelation theology jokes right there. Um, I, I would love to somehow collect um, people in vocational ministry who share these concerns and desire for undiscipleship from and rediscipleship to Jesus, undiscipleship from this this horrible political thing we're in and discipleship to Jesus. We'd love to figure out how to do something together because obviously there there needs to be a way to help fund some of these people, um, uh, but but also just to like how do we do it? How do we do it without violating the Sermon on the Mount ourselves? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's easy to demonize the people that were at the Capitol, but the the testimonies that are coming from people at the Capitol is were that these weren't just all proud boys and white supremacists. Right. These were these were people who were business owners and clerks and assistants and school teachers and Yeah. You know, this wasn't just the radical fringe. Um and uh and we can't, you know, I think if we've if the elite, whatever the liberal elite is, uh, they need to realize that just writing off the 70 yeah. plus million people that don't agree with them as degenerates or deplorables or whatever it is, that that doesn't advance the conversation either. We cannot just dismiss each other. We can't. Yeah. So, so is there a time to break with the divisiveness? Yes. Paul's really clear about this. Warn a divisive person once um, and then and then protect yourself from it. And we can have all sorts of conversations, but if you go through Paul's epistles and you look at for slander and quarreling and backbiting, you look at, I mean, he teaches a ton on this stuff. And then if you go to the pastoral epistles, Titus and Timothy, they talk a ton about endless myths and genealogies and foolish controversy, foolish controversies. And obviously he's dealing there with insipid forms of Gnosticism. But but the the general rules apply about anything that's going to come into the church that's not that's not directly biblical. Yeah, that threatens to just cause people to back stuff. So so we can't we don't get the privilege of violating the Sermon on the Mount in our opposition. We yeah. don't we don't get to do that, right? We bless we bless who we perceive our enemies to be. So we can't we do, we can't resort to tactics at all or or we we lose the way of Jesus as equally any, as anybody else has. Yeah. Um but I but it would be interesting to say okay how do we create it how do we strategize what means of creative goodness and blessing that call into question the allegiance of some yeah. and the commitment of some to uh what we perceive to be a false gospel and a false Jesus. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in. So yeah. I don't know what we do with that, Timothy, because we've had lots of great ideas on the podcast. Yeah. But I'm interested in if there's anyone out there that that echoes with. I guess that's yeah. the big I think big there'll question. be a lot. Yeah. I mean, because I, I think about the, you know, 
the divisive conversation. And I feel like for me, it's like you were the commenting on the divide or calling out the divide is not being divisive. Right. Uh, recognizing the divide is not being divisive, but it can't end there. Right. And there right. has to be something about, about breaching that. Yep. That gap, that divide. And yeah, that's what the real start- work is. That's right. anybody, anyone can call shit out, but it's like being productive about. That's right. Building that's bridges. Right. Well, that's right. That's what we have, would have preferred the people at the Capitol to have done, right? Yes. If, for those who who claim the name of Christ to follow the example of Christ and to love and bless, um, and so we have no option. We have to. We have to do that, or we violate. We violate everything we, we say we're, you know, for. And so, um, and, and the best way, the only way to do this is by identifying the logs in our own eyes. Yeah. So I've got to look at all the ways I'm an individualist, all the ways I'm a consumerist, all of the ways that I demonize people, all of the ways that I think I'm superior to other people, all of the ways I'm self-righteous, all the ways I'm a yeah. hypocrite, all the ways I have double standards uh, against others that I give myself permission to have. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally an Enneagram 4 I think the title is individualist. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's a daily um, combat. Absolutely. So so it starts with us, right? Um and and as we are dealing with the planks, we go into the world and say, "Hey, um it seems like science sometimes has good things to say, and we <laughs> should pay attention to it." And and I don't know that every that sitting behind every government is this one world Illuminati yeah. um, that's, you know, devouring children as a means of entrance, um, you know, but, but I've also been taken up by group think before too. So, I mean, it's this line between being prophetic with which we have to be as the church and also being pastoral, which means we recognize our own faults and we see even those we disagree with as image bearers worthy of respect and dignity. So At being some prophetic point, and pathetic. Well, I do pathetic already really well. <laughs> I don't even need to work at that. Prophetic, it's a whole different story. But anyway, yeah. um, so what we're going to do is we're going to open up a can of Gombas and see what <laughs> comes out. And then we're back to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure... I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know what people think. I don't know what, what we ought to do. I just know I really want to keep talking about this because I feel like we've been led to believe there are other pernicious threats to the church and uh, and that this isn't one of them. And I just don't yeah. agree with that. I just don't agree with that. D-Rad. Yeah. And, I like that. And, and, if, and if that's the... If that's, if the most effective way of doing that is is conveying uh, a way of Jesus that does not lead to nationalism and violence, and then then I, I'm in. I'm all yeah. in on that. All in. Me too. All in forever on that. Me too. So anyway, much more to say. Vox friends, I, I don't. We we've had just a whole slew of people join us. I don't have their names, so I'll do them next episode in front of me but on the patreon thing man my goodness thank you for that uh and thanks for the likes and the ratings and the subscribings i mean 
you guys know this is all algorithm stuff and so it really helps to to have people find us that way we're not huge into self-promotion uh that's been on purpose we wanted to embrace kind of an npr not advertise model and uh and not just you know be a ton of posts where we quote ourselves and how great our thoughts are um and so we've <laughs> you know we're kind of we're kind of just beneficiaries of an incredible pretty incredible and committed audience uh that 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 allows us not only freedom to explore this stuff but but you guys tell us when you disagree and it's really wonderful so yeah um, we're thankful for all those efforts on behalf of what it is we're attempting so anywho timothy last thoughts (laughs) i was just thinking about self-promotion i was like what could i pull from this episode prophetic and pathetic hashtag tim yes no no viral (laughs) no i like pathetic hashtag mike prophetic hashtag tim i think that will be i think that will be good i really thought d willie was gonna go viral but what do i know (laughs) yeah yeah there's a callback anyway friends we're grateful for you and in these days may god lead us into shalom not Mm. just as a people but as individuals I, i can't encourage you my friends to take care of yourselves to eat well to exercise, to get enough sleep, to detox from social media, to take loads of vitamin D, to um, vitamin D for D Willie, um, to to um, allow you know make room for for simple joys and pleasures. I mean, th- this is just this is just nutty. This is yeah, not nothing. Nothing in my wildest dreams could have prepared us for what this past year has been like. Yeah, go for a walk and breathe. Yes, breathe. That's a good name for a, uh, a song. Yeah. If only you were a Pearl Jam fan, you would know only. that was a... Yeah. Go for a That's walk what, with a breath and a scream. Yes, another one. In a state of love and trust. <laughs> All right. Anyway, friends, take care of yourselves. Bye. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast. On Instagram, at Fox Podcast, and on Twitter, at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.